Hey, thanks for joining me today. I have a great question from Nora in Kenya. She says, how do you know when God or the Holy Spirit is talking to you, especially after prayers when you are quiet? Many people say that I hear the Holy Spirit telling me this or that. How do they hear this? But for me, I try to read the word, meditate on it, pray, and then keep quiet to wait for the Holy Spirit to speak. But I hear nothing. <laughs> well, Nora, you and me both. I've been there, and, and if, we're, if, if we can be honest, I think a lot of people are there. I, these days, it, it, it seems like everybody hears the Holy Spirit speaking except me. I wish God would sit down with me in the morning and say, Hey, Don, about this and this, you've been praying about this, here's an answer. I, I, I wait to hear his voice, but I, I don't hear it. I don't think I've ever heard an audible voice from God. Um, and it, it's intimidating, especially when people say, oh, the Lord just told me this. The Lord, speak to me. the Lord spoke to me and told me to say this. Well, good for them. Uh, but you, you look at some of the prophets in the Old Testament, they would wait, uh, the God would speak, and there'd be another 40 years before he'd speak again. And because we're just reading through the scriptures, we think, oh, God spoke here, he spoke here, he spoke here. Sometimes the word of the Lord came, uh, uh, you know, 30, 40 years later. So don't be too concerned if you're not hearing from God every minute of the day. I think you had a good idea. Read the word and, and then be quiet and listen to what the Holy Spirit would say. And a lot of times it's not going to be in an audible voice. Uh, it's going to be in a still small voice. Uh, my friend Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book, uh, You Were Born for This. And in that he talks about a Holy Spirit nudge, just a nudge. You're going one way and suddenly you have this thought that uh, it comes out of the blue. And that sometimes that could be the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes it could be the pizza you ate the night before. But the, the challenge is to get to know those feelings uh, and identify what is the Holy Spirit or what isn't. I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us so practically. It doesn't have to be in this religious setting. Just a nudge, just a thought. I think the Lord is saying this. And when you feel that, you might want to just say, I don't know if this is me, Nora, or if this is the Holy Spirit, but this is what I feel. Keep it honest, keep it real. And if you really want to hear the voice of God, you have to make a friend of silence. And that is difficult to do in this hectic world. Thanks so much for your question. If you've got a question you want to ask me, go to donmoen.com forward slash ask Don, and I'll give it my best shot. God bless. Make it a great day.
Welcome to our 2021 Revelation series. We're in the process of unfolding the power of ancient prophecies. 
Eschatology is simply the study of the end times, and we're certainly doing a lot of that within our series. I do want to give you the heads up in regard to a commentary that will be coming out sometime in 2021 or early 2022. We're on number 50 in our series. It's called The False Christ. Several vices characterize false prophets. Apart from the obvious one of teaching lies, Scripture denounces them as wicked, according to Jeremiah 23, verse 11. Adulteresses, Jeremiah 23, 14. Greedy, Ezekiel 22, 25. And of course, one of the most important is self-deceived, which is Ezekiel 13, 2 through 3. And finally, each of them fall under the category of being idolaters. That too is found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8. Not surprisingly, God will judge them severely. According to Deuteronomy 18, 20, He pronounces the death sentence on them. He says this, The prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, the prophet shall die. Peter spoke of the judgment of God on all those false teachers. In the past and even in the future, when he wrote, that they will be, quote, utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? You can read about that in Second Peter chapter 2, particularly in verses 12 and 13. False prophets have plagued God's people from the beginning of history, but they will proliferate even more as the return of Christ comes upon us. This is because Christ will be establishing his kingdom on earth. Speaking of that time, Jesus said, Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. I think we're in those times. So persuasive will be their efforts that they will show signs and wonders in order to lead many astray, if possible, the elect. You can read the direct quote out of Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Those false prophets will be energized by some of Satan's demons and in some cases by Satan himself. The devil will intensify his efforts to deceive the world as his own doom approaches. Keep that in mind. Let's take a look at our passages for today. We're going to be sharing out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 13 through 15 and also through Revelation 13, 11 through 14. In Corinthians it says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. 
No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Then in Revelation passage it says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Subtle deceiver he is, isn't he? Well, let's take a look at the subtle deceiver. Though primarily a subtle deceiver, the false prophet will not be impotent. This figure will be filled with the charismatic dynamics of a great teacher, leader, and prophet. The entire world will be lured into his cunning ways. John notes that he exercises all the authority of the first beast, who was the Antichrist. Like two peas in a pod, this prophet will be at the beckoning call of the Antichrist, fulfilling the mandates set forth by the global leader. The false prophet will be the global religious leader who sits on the throne of the high priest in the third and final temple, also known as the final synagogue. Our passage reveals that the false prophet will exercise the same kind of demonic power and authority as the Antichrist. This is not difficult to understand because this false prophet will be possessed by the same spirit of that of the Antichrist. The mission of the false prophet will be to use all the means available to him from the spirit of the Antichrist to cause the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, leading the people worldwide into a cult of Antichrist worship, a plan Satan has perpetuated from the time of being cast out of heaven. Let's take a look at our slide about being deceived by the word Christ The term, or word, Christ does not mean Jesus, nor is it Christ Jesus' last name. This assumption is one of the most common misunderstandings of Christianity. The word Christ, Christos, from the Greek, means anointed one or Messiah. By keeping the Hebrew and the Greek contextual definitions together, we have this meaning. The Anointed One, Messiah, who consecrates a Godhead leader as one who delivers. By keeping with the actual definition, anyone who has the grit and backbone to take on such a role can become one. 
One of the other misconceptions of the word Christ or Christianity is the meaning follower of Christ. Even though I understand their hunt for pluralistic definitions, it is a poor representation of a true born-again, indwelt Christian. I have no problem with emergent churches, those who use spiritual formation, using the definition of Christianity as one who follows Christ, as long as they admit it is not Jesus the Son of God. Even if they would tell me that this Christ is Jesus Christ, they are still wrong. True believers are not followers of Christ, even though we follow Jesus from within. The life of Christ is a life that is manifested in and through the believer. Big difference. In keeping text with context, the emergent church's definition is an honest one, for it truly exposes the missional object of the movement itself. Getting others to follow Christ versus being indwelt by him. Well, with that being said, it becomes relatively easy for Satan to introduce the world to a Christ. Of course, that's in the form of an antichrist. To lead the world into a pluralistic world, or I should say, one world religion. Looking at a critical note here, please remember that these servants of Satan will disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, according to our passage. These emergent leaders, by worldly standards, will be good people. This is why I'm never impressed with people sending me literature quotes or documents of activities supporting a good thing that emergent leaders are doing. Just this week I was given a document on the purpose-driven society, attempting to prove how biblical it was due to the number of scriptures the leaders made use of. Well, I've been in meetings with many of these leaders, and I know that they believe that all religions or paths lead to one God, which definitely confesses pluralism. Personally, I believe that one drop of poison spoils the entire cup of juice. No amount of holy water or scriptures dropped into this cup is going to purify it. The only solution is to dump the entire cup's contents, purify the vessel, and fill it anew with living water. Maybe that sounds too simple for most listeners. Conversations with gurus. I've had a few of them, but there's one in particular I would like to share with you. A handful of years ago, I was in a discussion with one of the top Hindu gurus. Keep in mind that the Enlightenment Emergent Movement has its primary roots in Hinduism. Her job was global medical chief, and her role was to lead their religious medical missions department for a global community. As a medical doctor, her job was to go into the universities and re-educate students on the plurality of religion and medicine. 
In our discussion, she revealed a detailed plan of their religious mission. This plan teaches students that all pathways of science ultimately lead to religious thought. As the discussion unfolded, we explored her belief and how all religious paths lead to one God. She used the illustration of a mountain with many paths. She went on to say how each of these paths leads to one particular God, who stands at the top waiting to receive the followers of the individual prophet of each religion. Just for the fun of it, I asked if Satanism is one of those paths on the mountain. She replied with an affirmative yes, but that it was a lower path. Now she had my curiosity. Once asking about this lower path belief, she simply said, There are life forms and thus religious forms that are less honorable to God but important to Him. After a lengthy discussion, which was about three hours, we ended up at the same place we started, at the base of her mountain. I was not able to move her off her foundation of belief. By all given appearance, she had a checkmate on me. Then the Holy Spirit gave me this to say to this guru. Yes, doctor, you are correct. There are many paths on this mountain, and they all lead to a God. But there is one small but significant detail you're missing. There are two mountains. On your mountain there are truly thousands of paths with billions of walkers all being led to the top to receive and to be received by this God. On the other hand, the other mountain has only one narrow path winding its way to the top, and few are on it. They too will be received by their God. According to many religions, not just Christianity, there are two primary forces or gods at war, God and Satan. To be blunt, you tell the truth, but just not all of it. For your mountain does have many paths, some wider than others, and they all lead to the top. The walkers of these paths will be received by a god, a god of pluralistic religion, which is what you preach. But his name is Satan, disguised as an angel of light. The mountain I walk, the road is narrow and difficult. And yes, this path will lead to the top. I too will be received by God with a capital G, the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, and the Father of Jesus. You know, I've experienced a holy hush many times in my 40 plus years of ministry but not quite like this one. She stood, staring into my eyes for the longest time, and as she was walking away, she said, quote, For it is evident that we will have to agree to disagree. This dialogue was one of the most important I've had to date with an unbeliever. She helped me understand the deceptive hollowness 
contained within pluralism. She also helped me embrace the fact that no level of debate or intelligent dialogue will change a pluralistic thinker. There are no checkmates with multipath thinkers. Their conclusion is as deceptive as their point of entry. It is evident that we will have to agree to disagree. You see, they're each taught one simple factor to be a pluralist. That as you debate with people, you need to understand that the opinions that are on their pathway will be diverse and different than yours. You should always end your discussion with, we must agree to disagree. Now who can argue with that? I can. Pluralism is dangerous because it embraces a worldview according to which one's religion is not the sole and exclusive source of truth. That full truth has to encompass all pathways. Thus, at least some truths and true values exist in all religions. Any religion that is trained their followers not to argue and debate over the differences of beliefs and their mind wins in the end. I believe that pluralism is at the root of Satan's universal religious system. Looking at the warning of false teachers, the word of God repetitively warns us against apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of the true Christ. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God clearly warned us of the days that we are in today. If you take time to read Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 25 through 32, you will discover how God clearly laid out the deception that comes with false prophets. Please take the time to read this passage. The enemy has accomplished more destruction with statements like, I had a dream. The end result of these prophets is that the people forget about the word of God and proclaim the words of the prophet over God himself. This is the formation of pluralism, being a particular religion while accepting the dreams and visions of another. Well, in that little passage, Jeremiah says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. That can be found in Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. Now if the holy scriptures of God do not support a dream or vision, I have no problem telling the person they are acting as an emergent, which, remembering, is the process of merging two beliefs into one, and being emergent is certainly being pluralistic. In fact, there's no difference. Matthew 7, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly 
are ravenous wolves. Dear listener, the church is filled with these emergent false prophets Jesus is talking about. Now keep in mind that this does not necessarily mean that God does not use visions and dreams today. He does. I'm just trying to communicate to you that Satan replicates God's modalities. He does the exact same thing that God does in revealing, in God's case, messages of truth. I look at this passage that we're talking about and I literally see it this way. Be alert and aware of emergent leaders who come to you looking and sounding like true Christians. But inwardly, they are out to deceive you and lead you to a different Christ who will ultimately lead you to Satan himself. They will accomplish this by planting questions in true followers' minds. Questions that will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the true Jesus of being the real Christ. False prophets have been plaguing the children of God since Jesus took his last earthly breath. All claim to have some new and exciting element to what Jesus said or did. These antichrists through the generations are what the above passage refers to as deceitful workers. Their objective is simple, to set the stage for this beast we're about to reveal. The closer we get to the time stamping of this beast, the more deceptive these deceitful workers will be. And the harder they try, they will be rubbing up against the true doctrines of the living God. Here's a reminder note for each of us. Keep in mind that Satan is the counterfeit of God the Father. The Antichrist is the counterfeit of Jesus Christ. And the false prophet will be the Holy Spirit's counterfeit. There you have it. The false trinity of Satan. The false prophet will be and presently is at the top of this emergent pluralistic movement. He doesn't care who believes what or what leader is propagating their opinions. He just cares that the propagation leads people away from the absolute truth. As long as the feeler-friendly church leader is doing that, he, the false prophet, will be at peace with them. If they dare to start preaching the narrow-minded truths that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, then I can assure you all hell is going to break loose. Satan knows that everyone is obedient a hundred percent of the time, and that the question is, who are they obedient to? That is the great war between God the Father and Satan the counterfeit. This is why I tend to view Satan's work as redirecting established obedience. Being the former worship leader in heaven, Satan certainly understands that all of God's creation is designed to worship and obey. From this simple piece of truth, he strategically puts himself in the pathway as an object of worship. Always remembering the object that we worship is the object that we obey. 
and obedience is the proof of loyalty and service. In our closing conclusion, since we know that this false prophet will have a magnetic appeal to all religions and minds of the unsaved, shouldn't we ask why? A darkened mind loves darkness. The light and life of Jesus blinds a darkened mind, and they fight the guilt feelings associated with the blinding reform of truth. The unsaved person will be drawn to the leaders who will accept them just the way they are. They will ultimately belly up to a leader who will respect their opinion and focus on the love of God with a small g versus the conviction of judgment with a capital J that is about to be conducted through Jesus Christ. The people of the world will act much like a spoiled child being confronted with their selfishness. Coming up next in number 51 is the arrival of the beast himself. We're going to detail out Revelation 13 verses 12 through 13 where it says he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal womb was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. This beast has got some significant power behind him. From all given signs, the emergent prophet of this newly established feel-good religion will have significant power and authority from Satan himself. His purpose will be instigating a war with the true indwelt Christians. And at that point in time will be the 144,000 pure bloodline Jews. Lots to talk about in our up-and-coming messages. Hang in there with us. Remember, you can contact me at any time through the email address being shown to you. And also, we keep all of our eschatology messages in one single place. You can find that at www.iomamerica.net.